Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning together Kiseitse Shvi, the seventh and last Aliyah of Parashas Kiseitse. Our Aliyah is a large one. It's the largest we've seen in the parasha, and it's 28 Psukim long, running from Perikhov Dalad, Yudalad to Chofhei Yudtes. The main point of our Aliyah seems to be morality and society, and we're going to encounter a large number of mitzvahs in this particular Aliyah. So the first section seems to deal with workers' wages. We're told not to oppress workers or poor people. Do you have to pay their, day, their, their, their wages on the day that they worked because they're looking to you for sustenance. We're also demanding to make sure that they don't call out to Hashem because Hashem will hold it as a sin against us if we oppress them. Parent, we also hear that parents won't die for children and children won't die for parents. That seems to be a law in testimony rather than in spiritual um, mechanics, uh, generally speaking. Um, do not. We're also told not to pervert the justice of the convert, the widow or the orphan, and we're not allowed to take collateral from a widow. Um, that relates to, to the, the, the state of vulnerability she is in, and certainly with, uh, first on the side of poverty, but also on the side of the way that people will question why people are coming to her house. And the rumors that, that, are, that are spread about this, a very important idea about the respect and self-respect a person needs to have and the checks and, and balances that need to be in place for this, even when helping. And, um, and finally, we need to re- remember that we were a slave in Egypt and Hashem redeemed you from there. So this is the first section about care for those who are vulnerable and the care for, for workers. The next seem to be agricultural social reforms. So we hear about that when you ref- harvest your fields and you forget a bundle. Don't go back out and leave, uh, 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 you have to leave it. This is called Shechecha. You leave it for those in society who need it. Hashem will bless you for this. This is the one mitzvah in the Torah which was done not knowingly. So you don't know and then you leave it and you forget a bundle, a haystack outside, you, stand it, uh, you leave it outside. We also talk about the mitzvah of, of leaving what's called peya, the corner of the field. You don't bring in all of the grain and you should remember that you're a slave in Egypt and Hashem took you out. Then we hear about the notion of what's called malchus, which means lashes. So when there's a fight between two people, they will come in front of the judge and they will find who the correct person is, the wrong person is, and the person who's liable, they'll take them out and give them lashes. They cannot give more than 40. God, uh, that it shouldn't embarrass the nikla that a person should not be found embarrassed in front of, um, in, in, in front of you. And you're, we're also told in this section, you're not allowed to muzzle a, an ox when it is plowing. Um, there seems to be a parallel law to the idea of Lahavdil, of course, but a worker in the field is allowed to eat when working as well. Um, so that's the idea of Malchus. This, this particular section has multiple tiers of Drasha in the Gemara Malchus, but not for now. Then we hear about the section of Yibum. We hear about if we have two brothers um, and one of them dies without children, the wife of the deceased should not marry out, but the brother of the deceased should marry her. And the firstborn will be established um, establishing the name of the deceased so that his name should not be wiped out because his legacy essentially is in the balance. If the brother who's living does not want to marry the wife, then he, he, then she'll take him to the city gate and he'll say, I don't want to do this. They'll confirm with him that he doesn't want to, to do Yibum and she will remove his shoe and spit in his direction. She'll say and make a proclamation. This is the, 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 the what is done to a person um, who does not want to marry the wife of his brother and um, will be called Beis Chalut his house will be known as the house of the removed shoe. Um, and then we hear about the notion of, um, of when there are two people in a fight and one of the wives of the constituents grabs the, um, uh, the opposing man by his private parts um, to stop the fight. In such a case, it says, a you, you have to cut off her hands, obviously means to say the money as the Gomorrah Darshan Zimbabwe Kama 
Um, and uh, and that, that, that's the section. Then we have honesty in business. You should not have different types of stones and measures. Your measures should be just, and it is a disgrace if you have different types of measures, meaning we, the ways they would do it is they would have certain containers to measure off the flour that would be selling, or weights to sell how much they're going to be selling more products. So if you have different ones, ones which are soaked in salt, they're, 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 the containers are a little bit smaller, or if you have ones which are a little, they look like the same stone, but the one's slightly large, and you use it for different customers, that's what the, the Torah is talking about over here. And finally, uh, the the maftir over here is Amalek. Remember what uh, Amalek did to you when you went out of Egypt. They attacked you on the way. The stragglers at the back were tied. You weren't fearing Hashem. When Hashem brings you to the land of Israel, you will eradicate the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. This is appropriate to finish all this section because it seems after the conquest of the land and setting up the social norms in the land, which has been shoftim to Kisait, so now at the very end of this, the next mitzvah is removing Amalek. A lot of points to ponder on this aliyah, but obviously you don't have so much time, so just a few basics. Um, Rabbi Riskin describes that one time when he visited the USSR, when it was still beyond the Iron Curtain, he um, attended a illicit minion um, in a basement, in a pitch black basement because it was uh, it was illegal to daven, um, to form prayer groups and uh, w with a number of Russian people there. And, and at any point in time, the KGB could enter and uh, people could be, could be just thrown into prison just for, for, uh, for attending Minyan. And he remembers that it was Parashat Kisaitse and um, the fellow there was a Chabad individual um, started saying this Pasuk and he, and he said, he said to, to Rav Ariskin, he said to all those people who were there, he says, I don't understand. Hashem says to us, you're supposed to pay the wages of a worker in Aralia on the day that they work. He says, you haven't given us our wages. We're working for you. We're sacrificing for you, but you haven't given us our wages. And obviously the theological implication of the background of that question had huge ramifications. You look like, look what we're doing for you. And, and we, 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 we could go straight to Siberia for 10 years. So, and, and there's, there's this individual then answered, um, and he said the following. He says that, that is only talking about a um, a schir yom, a day laborer. A day laborer you have to pay on the day. He says, but what halacha is, when it comes to a kablan, a contractor, you pay the contractor at the end of the contract when they produce the result that you wanted. The house that's built, the basement that's finished, whatever it is, the fence that's put up, that's a contractor. And the, and this this Chabad, the individual, said to Ravariskin, we are kablanim, we are contractors. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us a job to be here, and we've only been paid at the end, and that's why we're not, we don't always see the fruit of our labors in this world. We're a very beautiful perspective, and certainly said in a very profound, profound way. Now, another question. Isn't it a bit random to having the idea of the plowing the ox, the, 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 the ox being muzzled next to the whole idea of malchus, of getting lashes? So the Gwari Malkus goes to great lengths to explain that, no, the general rule is, is that any time a Torah says the word loy pen, hishomer, and al, which are four expressions of negativity, don't do something, then if a person transgresses that, they receive lashes. That's the rule. There's a few exceptions, like a love shame by my say, if the transgression was not um, an action, it was speech or thought, or if it's a love and like I say, something which can be corrected, like you didn't send away the mother bird, but you can send her away now, you stole something, you can return it. Or love should be chlalis, a, 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 a transgression which has multiple different meanings. In those cases, you don't get lashes. We learn that basic principle from the proximity of the commandment of lashes to lo sachsom shor of a ox being muzzled, which is seen as a classic example of a love, of a, a negative commandment which, uh, which requires lashes. So it's actually very important in halacha, the two over here. Now, the idea of this of Yibum being rejected and the, the, and the idea of chalitza, of removing the shoe, which is still something which is done today, I mean, in a case where Yibum is not performed, why is that? What's the symbolism of that? 
So the Malim points out, and he quotes a very fascinating Medrash, that uh, the Gemara in Shabbos, which says, Dal sus melech, dal chamor ben bar bar inish. That a king rides a, ho- uh, rides a horse, um, a, a free man rides a donkey, and the uh, human beings walk on leather. So he says, why is it that human beings, so to speak, are on top of animals, whether it be the king on top of the horse or the free man on the donkey and the, even the regular uh, you know, proletariats walking on leather shoes? He says, because we walk upon animals in a certain sense to, to show that we are not like animals. We don't just respond to instinct. So we don't just respond when, we're, uh, you know, we're, when, uh, when we see food that we just have to stuff it into our mouth. We don't just respond you know, we're, we're, when, uh, when um, it's mating season that everybody just does what they need to do. No, we can make decisions and we're expected to make decisions, responsible decisions as to how we guide our life. We're not like animals. So we, so to speak, walk on leather to display that we are not simply animals. However, when you have a person who essentially, if you think about this, the brother over here who's alive is being asked to make a sacrifice. He's asked to say that he's going to marry somebody who perhaps he wasn't necessarily set up with and he's going to have to have a child and that child's going to be um, essentially not his own child. It's really the continuation of his deceased brother's life. That's a sacrifice. He doesn't really want to do that. I'm not interested. I'm just going to go on with my own life. I want to have my own marriage. I don't want to have to, you know, Nebuch was terrible about my brother, but well, in such a person, a person's thinking self-centeredly is essentially thinking like an animal, right? They're just doing what feels good for me right now, pleasure, convenience. Well, that kind of person removes their shoes because they don't no longer have the warrants to walk upon leather to act like they are human beings because they aren't. They're acting like an animal in this particular situation. That's the symbolism of the system album, very profound perspective. Another question. Why is the fighting, this whole situation of two men fighting and the woman grabbing the private parts, why is this whole, this whole business right here? So Malam says that if you look at the general idea and the, the continuation talks about, you know, honest weights and measures and so on. Um, well, a lot of times when you start thinking self-centeredly, what ends up happening is, is you start cheating others because you believe you're more entitled than they are. You're right, you can just cut them off in the traffic because your, your meeting is more important than their meeting, right? You, your measures, I can just cheat a little bit, I'll cut it off the top, I'll scrape it a little deeper down because I'm more important than the customer, of course. Um, well, that ends up going, it's going to turn into fights. And when it turns into fights, it turns ugly. And that's what the, the idea seems to be painting for us over here. Finally, what were two last questions. Why is Amalek right over here after honesty in business? So Rashi points out that being on, dishonest in business leads to Amalek coming, and it's worthwhile thinking about that, that the, that, that the, the expertise of Amalek is taking advantage of the weak. And when we act in such a way where we take advantage of the weak, the people who don't know about our scales and our measures, in a certain sense, we are acting like them to a certain degree. Now, what is the word, why is it, what, what is so bad about Amalek? The Torah describes Asher Karcha Baderach. What does it mean Asher Karcha Baderach? So that word actually, Karcha, has three separate meanings as Rashi uh, lists. One is karcha from the word kar, to cool down. We walked out of Egypt, the world was in awe. Wow, look at this nation, God saved them, these split, those plagues, the whole business. And Amalek says, yeah, we don't want to live with those with theological consequences and implications. So they jumped straight into the hot bath to cool it down. That's karcha. Another option is karcha from the, from the word Kerry, which means impurity. So they brought impurity to us. Another possibility, and the third possibility, Rashi says, is Asher Kocha, Loshan Mikre. They came in a happenstance. Oh, we just happened to be chance upon Israel. What they're really arguing is everything that happened to you, the wind was blowing at the right time when you crossed the sea. You're a lucky, you're lucky folks who should have picked up, uh, picked the lottery last, last Saturday night. But you know what? It was all happenstance. It wasn't God. There's no implications on this. That was the iniquity of them. Rav Hirsch explains, and then this is a very powerful idea, is that 
the, the, the hallmark of what it means to be a Malik is a person who, or a nation, who persecutes the weaker, the stragglers, the ones who are defenseless. In society, like in Nazi Germany, when you looked at their T4 program, already in the 1930s, they were already starting to eradicate those who were handicapped, those who had mental mental challenges and in fact even during the 1930s in the Nazi propaganda they uh, they, they they had pictures of people um, who like on the, on the front of some of the of, of the Reich propaganda um, magazine which shows a person who's who's mentally um, mentally retarded and it and the caption says a life without hope uh, describing how this person would cost the state 60,000 Reichsmark and it wouldn't it be better if society was if we, your my tax money wasn't going here they, they, they would eradicate the most vulnerable in society and it's worthwhile thinking about that because a society is measured by how they treat the weakest and the, and what a nazi program what a um a Molek program in the world is Those are perhaps weakest are the ones that they seek to eradicate because it doesn't matter to them. They would just like to create an Aryan super race. Well, that's not what the Torah wants. The Torah is always concerned about everyone from the top to the bottom, from the side to the side. Everybody in society matters. That's where the Torah comes from. And that's perhaps why this ideology is needs to be eradicated. With this, we close Shvi and Pashas Kisei. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful Shabbos.